believing ourselves and look what's happened, it's unreal. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Spirit of 2016 podcast. It's a lovely sunny day in the UK right now. Uh, I have got the Wimbledon screen, uh, or the Wimbledon final on one screen, I should say. I have got Lauren McCann and Stuart Cherry on the other, and we're going to have a big chat about the Women's European Championships, the first game against Norway and the upcoming game against Austria. But first, Lauren, uh, we've got an opening question from Rick on Twitter who asks, vinegar or salt first? Now, I know... You're quite a plain eater from a question yeah. we had on a previous <laughs> podcast. So I don't know if you're going to tell me you have neither, but uh, vinegar or salt first. I feel like I'm putting vinegar first in the questions, maybe leading leading us on slightly. I don't know. But yeah, remove all biases and go ahead. Oh, God. I always get hit with these awkward food questions. Like, is it, <laughs> is it like chippy chips? Because even those, like, I, I don't touch like, well, salt. And are you just no chips? Well, I have chips when I go out, but I wouldn't eat chips. Like okay, so, so you're, like going out, you're going out, no, so somebody's no doing it for you. Vinegar. No, no, no salt, salt or vinegar. vinegar. No. Goodness me. Yeah. It's mad for a Cliftonville fan. You're the most Northern Irish person I've ever met in my life. Sure, <laughs> save us. I would have a, a sprinkling of salt and like just a little bit of vinegar. I'm not a massive vinegar fan, but Which salt first? for sure. Salt first? Oh, salt. Salt, salt first. first. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you on that. What, what are the chippies like in New York City, by the way? They're, uh, they're they're pretty grim. Um, right. We don't have chips, unfortunately. We have fries. Chips coming out. Oh, oh uh, ch- chips or Doritos, of course. Over here, remember that. Of course, of course. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the exact same. I think salt. No, so did you say salt first? Sure, I go salt first. I'm trying to think what I do. No, I go vinegar first, and then it, it, it soaks in the salt. Ah. So there's logic behind this, and you get a nice even <laughs> spread. Because if you do the salt first, it's tumbling down, isn't it? And then you feel a little salt at the end. 39 anyway. years and we're doing it wrong. Thanks <laughs> well, you'll forever cherish the moment I told you this um, <laughs> on the podcast. Change your life. Thanks, Andy. Um, let stuff. us know in the comments section below. Um, anyway, Norway. Norway 4, Northern Ireland 1. Um, I think, Lauren, before the game, before you even look at what the scoreline was after half an hour, before the game, you were fearing a hammering. The biggest fear was a hammering. They beat a 6-0 home and away in qualification. We talked about this on the podcast with Megan Bell that we put out beforehand. And it's hard to know really what constitutes success for a Northern Ireland side this far behind in terms of quality, in terms of a major tournament, I think. But for me, I think a goal and a three-goal defeat, considering what's come before, does possibly constitute success. I don't know about you. Yeah, especially after, you know, the first 30 minutes where you're really fearing the worst, you're you're thinking, you know, this could be a cricket score here. Um, But I think, you know, it was... I think it was Chloe McCarran came out after the game and said it was kind of nerves the first half an hour. And I think you could tell, you know, the mistakes that were made, they were punished. And then Northern Ireland grew into the game. And, you know, I think Marissa coming on at half time really helped um, settle the team a bit as well. And then, you know, Julie getting that goal was iconic. And it was a great moment. And I think that should kind of be the takeaway from the game, you know, getting a goal. Um, as we said before, in any of the three games would constitute a success. So for it to come in the first game and then, you know, the, the free kick that was scored in the end was a great free kick. But, you know, Northern Ireland certainly didn't disgrace themselves. They had a tough first half an hour, but as they tend to do, you know, in, in games like this, when they go down a few goals, they, they rally and they come back. So I definitely would say, you know, it, it's progress, especially compared to the last time they played Norway. Clear tangible progress completely, Stuart. And I think 
I mean, the hammering doesn't come in the end. The, the fear is that it, that it does come. And we'll, we'll talk specifically about the goals and specifically Northern Ireland's goal. Uh, definitely want to dedicate a big part of that because it's just a, a real iconic moment in this, in this country's sporting history. I was in work the next day and just smiling the whole day, thinking about <laughs> it. Like it was absolutely amazing. Like really, really what a moment. But when we find ourselves 3-0 down after half an hour or after 25, 27 minutes, whatever it was, you are fearing the absolute worst. And um, I guess Norway probably, if they wanted it enough, could have had a couple more after the 4-1. But still for Northern Ireland to show that mentality and to, to, to draw the last half hour, or draw the last hour of the game one all is, is really, really impressive. I think that alone, you throw the goal in and the fact that they matched them uh, scoreline at least for the last 60 minutes is going to give them huge, huge confidence. Um, you think about the, the friendly game beforehand. We played Belgium. We scored, conceded three in the last 10 minutes. And again, playing against players who, for Barcelona, PSG, Lyon, Man City, Man United, Chelsea, the, you know, against, in theory, amateur players who've been able to train full-time for six months, to be able to show that level of fitness and I think mental strength in the last 60 minutes I thought was incredible um, Kenny will have his distractors as I'm sure we can get on to various points and I know you guys touched on it at uh, various pods but he got it right in the second half you know, formation wise I thought we were sort of um, really up against it in the first sort of 25 minutes as you mentioned back against uh, against the wall I think we're overrun in midfield but as Lauren mentioned, bringing on Marissa at halftime, I think steady the ship slightly. She's you know incredibly inspirational. Um, I feel they could take a huge amount of credit, created some chances, got the goal, um, and a huge degree of credibility in that in that last 60. Yeah, if Norway needed to turn it on, could they have done? Or yeah, I'm sure they could have, but you know, they didn't. And uh, I think there's a really good foundation to build on for, for Austria. Definitely. And how Ada Hagenberg didn't didn't score a goal in that game. I mean, goodness me, she set up. I mean, it was it was a real world class performance. I thought, and the thing you have to remember is that from from those two six nils, she wasn't even playing in those. So this is somebody who's been. I, I don't know. Somebody mentioned a Ballon d'Or winner. Certainly, she's been nominated for it before. Um, she's won it. Yeah, she's won it. Yes, yeah, so, you know, only twenty six to to be doing that. And and yeah, as I say, to take three goals off the score lines from. And you don't want to sound patronising when you talk about it like that, but they are they are the terms in which you do have to talk about it. This this is a team of part time players who have gone and, and are taking on the world and are, are doing so brilliantly. This is always something we talk about in these podcasts, Lauren, when it comes to Kenny Shields and the, I guess, approach to the games. It's it's playing out from the back. It's progressive, and they're not going to change that no matter what the scoreline is. That said, do you have to sort of when when the first or second goal comes in? And, and you know, Northern Ireland do keep playing out from the back. We'll go on to the, the specific goals in a moment, but after just conceding the first goal, then we try to play out through the midfield and McCarran's caught on the ball and, and and it's an easy goal for second. Then the penalty comes in, that can happen anyway. Is there is there a point at which you have to be slightly pragmatic in moments, if not in your entire approach to the game? Or do you think basically what's got us there, we have to stick with? And even if it means you concede a few goals in a row uh, in moments like that, it means that when you actually do win games, it's, it's because of that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I think Megan kind of talked about that. It's kind of ingrained in, the, in these players now, you know, even in moments when they want to be pragmatic, they, they can't be, but playing out from the back just is so instilled in them now that playing any other way, you know, 
especially now so so long into Kenny's reign it might result in even more mistakes um but yeah you know I, I was thinking when th- that second goal when Chloe got caught in the ball and you're thinking oh dear like this is too uh, so early in the game and from two mistakes and you just think the players heads are going to drop so it's as Stuart had said, you know, the mental resilience to come back from that was was really, really good. But I think as Megan had said before in the podcast, you know, it's it's just so ingrained in these players now that they don't know any other way to play and they kinda they stuck with it. They rode out the storm and they've come away with their rewards from that game. And I think, you know, it's kind of maybe the only way they can match these kind of teams. You know, if you just play it long, Simone's not tallest up front. I know, you know, it's just gonna come straight back at you. Yeah, that that's it. And you know, we do have players who want to play in the midfield. You know, you look at the like a Chloe, Rachel, and playing them behind the Simone, who's who's quick up front. So I think yeah, that that's the playing philosophy now, and any deviation from that will only be brief. I don't think it would be a complete change of plan in any game. Yeah, I think as well. You look at that scoreline, and from what you remember from the game, you, you remember the three goals in the first half hour, or the, th- the three goals in 21 minutes, but that wasn't necessarily the, the story of the first half hour, I thought. I mean, first 10 minutes, I'll just stick with you for a second, Lauren. The first 10 minutes, I thought Northern Ireland actually played really well, and they were comfortable playing the ball out from the back. They were comfortable getting the ball in dangerous areas, and it wasn't a, a sort of backs-to-the-wall you know, in in shape the whole time performance and letting Norway have the ball. We're actually trying to get it in areas ourselves, and we did so really well. And yes, after we can see the first goal, then chances start to, to to fall, and they're they're cutting through us like a knife through like a hot knife through butter at times. But those first ten minutes were actually really impressive for Northern Ireland. I think that probably will be lost in 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 the in terms of the game. Everyone's going to talk about it as in first half hour and then the recovery for the last hour. But but Northern Ireland started really well. I thought. Yeah, and you know, that's huge credit as well. The first 10 minutes, you're kind of expecting this onslaught from Norway, you know, the first mm-hmm. time these players were played in, such, in front of such a huge crowd and such a huge stage, but they equipped themselves really well. And I think maybe the first 10 minutes kind of inspired them that, you know, for the last 60, they can't come back and kind of match these, this team for the last, you know, how long is left. So, yeah, I definitely think, you know, when Kenny analyses the game, that will be a positive sign. And, you know, there are so many positives to take into the Austria game. The first goal, Stuart, is quite bizarre in many ways. You don't expect the right back to be caught so high up the pitch, first and foremost, or the right wing back. There's a hell of a lot of space on that left-hand side. Now, I can't really, I've watched it back, and I can't really work out whether it's just an incisive, brilliant Norway goal from a a world-class team and a world-class player. Obviously, you know, we all know football isn't pure rigid. It's not... I'm playing right wing back, so I'm going to stay right wing back the whole game. Players move, players make runs, and inevitably possessions lost. And, and part of football and part of defensive structure is is being able to cover that and recover quickly. I thought Lauren Wade had got a block to it immediately when when the shot was made. I thought Lauren Wade had got the block to it and was going to turn it around the post. It turns out it's just a, a pretty good finish. Um, Jackie Burns will be happy to get beaten at her near post. I think. It's maybe not her best night of all time in a Northern Ireland shirt, albeit she's so much credit in the bank from the last two years. And yeah, it's it's just a little bit of a blow to concede at that time. And it's it's you look at the goal and how much space there was, and you're you're a little bit disappointed by maybe how easy Northern Ireland made it for Norway in that moment. I think it touches on the point that you said in the opening 10 minutes. Typically speaking, if you look at Norway's results for the past couple of years, they don't tend to score. In the t- opening 10 minutes, it's normally from minute 20 onwards. So they may be a bit of cat and mouse with a lot of the teams and they settle in. Um, but I feel that opening 10 minutes, clearly there was confidence in the team because I think otherwise, if it was been the back to the wall from the first whistle, 
we wouldn't have created that much space. We're almost victims of our own downfall to a certain degree. There was confidence. We were going forward. We were looking to sort of bring the ball out. And suddenly, as you say, there was 50 metres left for Blackstad to, to, to latch on to a ball and, and rifle home. I've watched the, the go back a number of times. Yeah, I think Jackie Burns' or footwork probably wasn't the best. He probably shouldn't be beaten there, but it's a great finish. You know, that's the place for Man City, if I can remember correctly. And she, and she took it well. Um, but it was, uh, again, I think a feature, if you look at the goals that we have conceded, um, over the past year, certainly since qualifying. Um, we have been cut open a few times. Certainly if you look at the game against Belgium, for instance, we were cut open balls through. This was just a really good right to left on the end of it. And you know, it was a very it was a smart finish from an offensive perspective. Do you think Nelson can cover over a little bit more? Or does you think Wade's getting back or it, it, to be honest, I think it, I think yeah. it's from outside the box in the end of the finish. It's very rare you see goals from outside the box. It is a it is a real, real good finish. It is. I think you know the one. the The second goal, I actually thought was it uh, McFadden. I thought I thought possibly could have slid in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just probably slid. And um, it is a difficult one there. I just think you know what it was a degree of um, uh, naivety. I think in one sense for us, we were just exposed, and a team like Norway, who I think have scored in their last fourteen competitive matches, have scored seventy five goals. So this is an incredibly offensive team that punish teams when they show weakness, and, and that's what they did. Completely. Um, Lauren, we, we sort of touched on the second goal, so, so feel free to touch on that as well. I think the reason you have McCarran in the team is, is more for the ball-playing ability. You know, we know that Kenny likes to play Rachel Furness slightly further forward, which isn't where she plays for a club. She's sort of in a defensive midfield too with, with Kerry Holland and... I was sort of looking at it in the first half and thinking, well, we clearly went for three up front and Furness was one of those just behind and McGill and, and Wade sort of on either side of her. I wondered if Furness's physicality and her ability to win headers and sort of just be a body in the midfield would have helped a little bit more. I'm not really sure exactly on that. There were a couple of times where there was just a massive space in midfield and there was no Northern Ireland player anywhere near it. And... I felt like we could have been a little bit better in, in certain moments like that. There certainly was loads of space. Um, I suppose this is kind of a question on the Austria game, but it looks like Nadine Caldwell isn't going to be fit for that. Northern Ireland have put out that she has a knock and she's being monitored by the medical team. There's so many different players he, he's been able to pick. There's Julie Andrews who's played against England. There's McDaniel played a couple of games at the start of the qualifying campaign. McCarran's actually not played that much considering how good I think she's been in a lot of a lot of areas. Furness is always going to play. And then there's Marissa Callahan again. And um, we're very hard to predict. And we talked about that at the start. But do you think the setup of the midfield was slightly wrong? If not the personnel, then how they played as individuals? Yeah, I kind of thought like Nadine was was coming in as a bit more of the obviously, you know, I think she was only in because Marissa was injured, but I think she's kind of a bit more defensive than Marissa. So I thought her and McCarran would be like a solid kind of base even if McCarran you know was <clears throat> at the at the back but yeah the, it was a hard night for her Chloe McCarran someday rate really highly you know I think she's a tough tackling midfielder but as you say as well she's great ball playing skills so I think the likes of Andrews and McDaniel I think are more impact subs I know obviously Andrews has been trusted to play against England but I think you know she's a player that kind of wants to drive forward and Louise is the same you know she's 
done so well for Cliftonville in a more attacking kind of sense. So I think it's definitely Marissa in there um, on against Austria. And I think, you know, McCarran will probably stay in there as well. It's just because, you know, you want Kenny wants Furness playing so much further forward than she does, as you say, for Liverpool. So I think you kind of have to compensate for that with more defensive-minded players behind. Well, that is understandable. But then there's a worry, isn't there, when Furness and Callahan are, are in the same midfield in, in terms of legs, and that's not being disrespectful through them. They're just at the stage of their career where they can't cover mm-hmm. as much ground. And I thought that was a thinking behind putting Julie Andrews in against England, who was all over the place. She had a really, really good game, I thought, if not on the ball, just buzzing about and making things awkward for them. And is there a, a temptation, do you think, to go for maybe two of the younger ones, maybe a McCarran and an Andrews or a McDaniel and an Andrews or something like that? Do you think you'd be tempted by that at all? Or do you think you need that experience and that quality in probably the most important game of the three? Yeah, I feel like he might go more for the experience, but I do see, you know, Andrew's coming in. Um, she could be a possible starter, Louise. I, she hasn't actually played that much um, under Kenny. I know she started um, and scored against Latvia, wasn't it? But I don't think he, he really prefers her coming on, and I can kind of see why the energy she brings. But I think, you know, if you are going for one of the younger younger ones, Andrew's is a bit more disciplined. And as you say, you know, she's really good just, you know, being everywhere. So I think if there is a shout for playing one of the younger ones, it's definitely her. But I could I could see Marissa just coming in. I could see that as well. I could. Um, but it, it it's it's mad that you've sort of got six or seven players named in a in a in a squad and any of them could play in in that three in midfield. So certainly Austria will be will be kept guess. And we'll we'll go on to the third goal because I do want to come back to that, Stuart, at some point, probably when we talk about the Austria game. Because I'm interested <laughs> as to whether he's slightly too favourable towards the players he's had in his training camp all year rather than full-time WSL players that, that were left on the bench. Uh, but we will we will come on to, to, to discuss that later on. Um, the penalty the penalty obviously happens. Uh, I think it comes from the, the Abby McGee block, uh, which is a phenomenal block to stop Henry oh. scoring. I mean, that was a lovely, lovely move from Norway. As much as I was watching in the pub from behind my fingers, you couldn't help but... <laughs> really really enjoy some of Norway's play it was world class it was poetry in motion at times and they're going to cause some problems in this tournament later on but the corner comes in and we've all done this when we're playing football you've misjudged the flight of the ball you're not going to get your head to it and you think that the person behind you is just going to stick it in and you look at back and Hegerberg is just going to stick it in there's no doubt about that but Nadine Caldwell nobody appeals for it and Nadine Caldwell goes down sort of injured and I wonder did that break in play give VAR the time to look at it and and see is is this a penalty has there been anything here because it sort of came out of nowhere watching it on the TV I absolutely love um just watching it back here Nadine Caldwell's uh attempt in fairness she is taken out you know like yeah. a split second afterwards are you gonna I accuse her of the, the famous Stephen Taylor what? holding the chest for Newcastle remember that one I didn't the funny thing is when I saw it happen I didn't for a, I looked away for a second and I didn't see her getting clattered yeah. by Herberg. And then I saw her sort of limping off. I thought, well done, well done. You've done really well there. And then unfortunately, you know, VR's um, brought into it. The funny thing was when the corner comes in, um, I think it's McFadden and Vance who were ahead of Caldwell, both missed the header. So the caller comes in, our two first defenders miss it. And then it just, it hits her. I mean, she's probably a bit naive again to put her, her arm up as she as she did, um, pretty pretty high, um, and it was a careless penalty, I think. And I think if you look at the the just as a quick one back to the second goal, the goals we give away, and have given away recently, have been careless. They're unforced errors, and I think this is again another one of that. Um, again, split second decision you make it, but 
Again, the, the problem was not necessarily Ian going up with her arm, but it was the fact that the header was missed in the first instance by, by two defenders who were in front of her. Yeah, and Caroline Graham, our resident Tory MP, stuck it away for 3 0. And um, yeah, we, well, I, you know what? I actually listened back to the podcast and I'd said that when I'd found out it was Graham Hansen, that it was less, it was less of a Tory MP name, but it's a double barrel. That's more, that's more of a Tory yeah. MP type name. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, on to, well, what can I say? Like, unlucky as well with the penalty. Like, I thought um, Burns got her hands to it. You know, I yes. thought, like, you know, again, yeah, it was a well-taken penalty, but, you know, she guessed right. Yeah. And for a very split second, I think Jonathan Pierce was on the BBC commentary and gave more reaction to the attempt at a save as opposed to the goal. But I think that was the, the general narrative at the time. But, yeah, the, it was just it was just frustrating. Again, you know, having conceded um, two sloppy enough goals right beforehand, it sort of, with 30 minutes to go, it sort of killed the game as a, as a contest in that, in that regard. Yeah, cheers, Jonathan, for now. We, we needed that at the time, didn't we? <laughs> needed it. Needed um, there, there's there's further chances for, for Norway. Hegerberg misses two in particular. There's the Abby McGee block we've already talked about. There's a header at the back post. Um, there's a good Jackie Burns save at one point, which just yep. gets a hand to it. Awkward height, sort of bounces just in front of her. and, and, and Right in half time, I think, post. wasn't it? Yeah, and that was an important yeah. save. And, you know, we had to yeah, get in exactly. at 3-0. We had to get in at 3-0 there. And we do well to get in at 3-0. And then, Lauren, there is the moment. And it, what a moment it is. I mean, there are people who have been to the game who say that noise will live with me for the rest of my life. I think it could have only maybe been bettered if in the England game at Wembley, if Cara Hamilton had put that in just after halftime, I mean, that would have just been phenomenal. But at that point, I mean, there was a little bit of chat before the game and somebody asked me the question. I think they asked me, you know, would I, would I rather draw nil-nil or, or lose 2-1 and have a real sort of fight and spirited performance? Now, the answer to that is obviously draw nil-nil every day of the week, the first game in the European Championships. But if you'd have offered me losing 5-1, let's say, and having a moment like that over losing 3-0, I would have chosen the former all day long. It's really important to have a moment like that in these European championships and these major tournaments. And and Nelson gets it. And the two that combine, I mean, Rachel Furness, we need a lie detector on whether that was a shot or a cross. I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, it certainly was an, a, an unconventional piece of play. But it falls to the head of Nelson and and, and Julie Nelson. I don't I don't even think has that many goals from Northern Ireland. You, you sort of look at her and you think she'll go up for the corners and, and gets quite a few. I can see Stuart's just checking that for me there. So so thank you, Stuart. But um, I think is it about five? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, so not a not not a John Terry by any stretch of the imagination banging in ten a season from corners. But she gets that moment and I, I think she becomes the oldest uh, scorer ever at a at a major European Championship. And there were shades, if not in Eight, terms of I think now she's got goals. Well, goodness me, she's yeah. a goal machine, and I've messed that right up, haven't I? <laughs> Edit that out. So you're fine. Hat trick against Austria, please, Julie. Uh, that would be lovely. <laughs> but I've lost my train of thought. It, it, if not in 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 terms of the scoreline at the time, in terms of the result that comes from it, in terms of the style of the goal and the fact that it's two centre halves and the fact that they're both from Larne, you can't not mention the comparison to Gareth McCauley. I mean, phenomenal, wasn't it? It was just, it was a crazy goal, you know, that corner is just, you know, we talk about Northern Ireland conceding sloppy goals, like Norway be so disappointed with it, not taking anything away from Julie Nelson because that is some header, you know, the way Furness fires that in, it's such, it's such like an awkward angle, it's kind of like a loopy one, you know, kind of when Van Dyke hits that shot against Everton is what it kind of reminded me of the technique she had and the way she steered that in, you know, when it, it was miles over the line, I know the goalkeeper got to it, but to generate that power from where she was and kind of, the, the way the ball had been hit in and you just look at the celebrations after and it just made it all you know so worthwhile and 
so many people have paid tribute to Judy. You know, she's been there from the start, so it just was kind of like a fairy tale for her to get in the score sheet. And you know, yeah, what what a moment! And it, it just lives with me. You know, like you said, the Macaulay goal. It's one of those you won't forget. You know, you will always just it'll just keep running in your mind because it just is so iconic now. Yeah, Stuart, Wilbur Cush, Peter McParland. But by the way, Stuart wasn't a part of that list. I'm starting the <laughs> list. I'm telling you that I'm going to speak to you. Wilbur Cush, Peter McParland, Jerry Armstrong, Billy Hamilton, Norman Whiteside, Colin Clark, Gareth McCauley, Niall McGinn, and Julie Nelson. Players who have scored a goal for Northern Ireland at a major tournament. It's just dream stuff, isn't it, for her? And absolutely no one out of all that list deserves it more than she does. You know, you know, so much has been written about her. It's funny, I'm just watching the goal back again and again and again here with uh, American I showed it to my form class the next morning. I put it on. I was showing it over and over again. I was like, this is a historic moment, guys. You need to watch this game. And I was in the I was in the pub for it and I jumped up and screamed. Like literally nobody else was really watching it, but I screamed. I was so, so happy. I mean, phenomenal moment. I was having quite an awkward conversation in work at the time and I had it sort of positioned on my laptop pretending I was doing work. I was like <laughs> stifling my my screams of just of just noises. I, I, everything about it. Everything about it is class. There's something so beautifully Northern Irish about it as well. It's a cracking, it's actually a cracking corner because um, the goalkeeper, is it Pedersen or Peterson? It was only her fourth cap. Uh, Norway's main keeper uh, got injured before the finals. And actually one of the things I actually thought for us, like, um, and Norn, you'll know this more with, with, with McGuinness when she plays good at getting the ball in the box. And I think that's one, a really good trait for us to get the ball in. We've got Ashley Hutton, remember her goal against Wales? Uh, Fernie obviously will come up for the back, or she can come up and, and score headers too. But just Julie Elson, it's just classic. The corner comes in, they don't clear it. Um, I think is it M- McGee gets ahead to it. Fernie whips it back in, and this cracking header again. It's just it's just brilliant. Everything about it, the girls' reactions, the fans' reactions, the commentators' reactions, and anyone that's watching that goal, no matter where in the world you are, if you've got commentary, if you're not, if you're on your own or you're with friends, it's just class it's just absolutely class and i think it's the best thing that could have happened in the sense that to have a moment against a team that you know are, are world class is a world class team a team that doesn't concede goals only three goals in 14 competitive matches that they've conceded and, and we've done that and julian Elson has done that and it's just brilliant and it's just absolutely brilliant and that's the only way i can describe it it's a, it's, it's, it's an incredible, incredible moment. I'm, I'm so happy that it happened. I'm so happy that we, we got the goal, and it was really our only oh. chance. And then there's a VAR check, and you sort of think, has it gone over the line? What on earth are the check in here? Were the check in the furnace was offside, or were the check whether Hutton was offside, or, or sorry, um, Nelson was offside? Nelson. I'm not sure exactly what it was because I'm it's pretty sure. much a, a vertical ball. Um, I think they maybe checked if Furnace was coming back from an offside position and, and then it, it gets given and, and we, we have that moment. And Lauren, my mate in the pub at the Times, told me, he's not even Northern Irish, but he told me, if you don't tweet the Stephen Gerrard in Istanbul <laughs> gif right now, then like, what are you doing? It got about four likes, so nice one. No, do you know what it was? <laughs> when I was on the bus back from Slovakia, somebody said it was 4-2 and then I was scrolling on Twitter and I seen your, the Stevie G gif and I thought, yeah. no, no. I was like, not again. And then <laughs> somebody was just loud on the bus. And I was like, oh, no way. <laughs> It's, it's, actually, it's actually as a header goes so you still watch the back it's actually a cracking header it is it because is. that ball from Bernie is yeah. whipped in at a hell of a lot of well it's a shot across as you say but it's hitting at a heck of a pace and Julian just moves her head sorry I'm 
There's a podcast with me in the head. Great audio, this shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just the way she just moves her head to get it down. She heads the ball down. And how many times have we seen it? It's the easiest thing in the world to that header to go up and, and high, but she controls it in such a brilliant way. And as I say, for a servant who's been there since 2004, when you know the squad was rebuilt again, and it was at the Argyle Cup, or I think back in 2004 when they all got, you know, for her to be there, it takes free. Like, it's just, it's just beautiful. For those not watching on the video, which is everyone, yes, Stuart was just <laughs> heading fresh air in New York for about 20 seconds there, but at least me and Lauren would that at the pleasure of seeing it. The fact and, that you died, the fact that you dive though made it made it better. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame, Lauren, just to wrap up the, the Norway part of it. It's a shame, I, I guess, that we concede so quickly after. You're sort of hoping we can stay in the game for maybe five to, to, to ten minutes more. Um and and maybe see if you can get a set piece and put a little bit of pressure on at the end. I think three goal, a three goal deficit is, is fair enough in the end, but we can see straight up the other end and it's, it's Jackie Burns' side and you can sort of see when the, the free kick's being set up, the two Norway players in the wall, you could sort of see that's where it was going to go and that's where it did go. And it's difficult for Burns. She's undecided, you know, I, I can't really blame her for it, I suppose, but it, it, it does go in fairly easily and it's another kind of soft goal that maybe could have been prevented that if we are to get some sort of a miracle against Austria, we'll certainly need to, to iron out those type of, of goals and errors. Yeah, you know, I think it, it's so telegraphed. Um, that's the corner she was going to go in for the free kick the whole way she lined it up and it was a great finish. You know, it was right in the corner. You can't take anything away from that. But yeah, as you say, you know, when she's lining up to hit it, that's, that's where she's going to go. And that was a bit of a downer, especially, you know, if you had to just kept it at the 3-1 and you know you were I know it's, it sounds pretty patronising but you know the last team to score and you kind of still have that euphoria of having scored but then mm-hmm. that was a wee bit of a, a sucker punch in the end but you know it was it was, it was a good finish you, you can't take that away from them and to come away unscathed you know because as Stuart said before we tend to concede goals you know one after the other so rapidly and you think you know that's kind of a deflating moment after having had such a high from scoring to only concede once again you know was was quite good but overall I think th- there's there's so many positives to take and to have that goal on the boards and you know hopefully against Austria you can create a few more chances I know obviously we have a few injury doubts but I still think you know there, there's reason for optimism especially after that performance when we thought you know after the 30 minutes I really was fearing the worst and you know if you take a 6-0 um, as they had done before against Norman, your first game in the European Championships, you know, Australia looks like a real mountain decline, but now, you know, it still was a 4-1, but you have that goal and you have that optimism going into this game. Lauren, it's amazing. Sorry, it was just a, Andy, to that. It, the fact that we didn't concede, again, after conceding the fourth, you know, with everything that was going in, you know, conceding so so quickly after scoring, the, the easiest thing in the world for the players' heads to drop. Yeah. But the fact and not that only not to concede, sure, not really to concede any chances apart from the, no. the goal that was disallowed, which was offside. We weren't really threatened. No, I, well, exactly. And so it, clearly, the, the changes that were made, and even the substitutions that, that, that came on, I think they made a difference. And that you, you made a point earlier on the fact that the, the way that Kenny has developed the squad, he is not afraid to throw on players that are playing in the Irish League. I think yeah. um, you know, um, over players that are playing in the WSL because he, he has faith and confidence in them and it gives us options. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that was, to, to me, the goal was, was, was the moment. But again, I think that the fact that we didn't concede, um, or certainly you conceded one in the last 60 minutes, I think it's a, it's a huge credit to them. Lauren mentioned, sorry, like Nick Harris just on a, a serve through the legs again. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, Lauren mentions, Stuart, the... 
the fact we were unscathed in terms of the result, but we're certainly scathed in terms of probably the, the, the only negative from the second half, really, which was Simone McGill coming off in, in tears. It's shades of Rachel Furness in, in Ukraine. It looks like it's horrible. I don't know if it's confirmed ACL yet, but certainly that's what everyone thinks it is. It looks like she's not only going to miss the rest of the Euros, she's going to miss most, if not all, of the, the new season with, with Aston Villa in the WSL. First of all, personally to her, it's just horrible. She has horrible, horrible luck. She's such a phenomenal player. She's come back from so many injuries. She's probably only played about 30% of the games under Kenny Shields, but the game she has played in, she's made such a phenomenal contribution to, and we'll, we'll talk about her performance across those two legs against Ukraine in the playoff. But it's devastating for her. First game of a major tournament, but, but nobody can ever take away the fact that she was a huge, huge part of why we qualified and also gets the moment and gets the moment with her mates as well, with her mate, Julie, who she's been in the squad with for 11 years. You know, it's horrible, but nobody can ever take that away from her. I think she said that, you know, again, this is not an uncommon um, injury, you know, the ACL injuries. Yeah, um, Keith Bailey did a, a good piece on yeah. it, actually, Belfast Telegraph, yeah. Cracking eight times more like female players are eight times more likely to have the injury than, than, than male players. And as I say, it's probably the worst injury you can pick up. Um, you know, Demi Vance, Ashley Hutton, McFadden, uh, Rafferty, you know, there's a list of players that we have had in the squad over the last two years that have picked it up. Megan Bell, obviously, is missing with injury. Um, yeah, she's a number ACL of others. As well, yeah, one Cara previous Hamilton to this, I believe, with ACL. Yeah, Cara Hamilton, ACL. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just devastating. And I think it's devastating on a couple of fronts for her personally, first and foremost, it's devastating because she's just such a damn good footballer. Yeah. She's just really, really is. She's just a class player. The fact too, that, you know, with her injuries at Everton and performed well, got to the cup final, you know, she's moved to Villa, big move on, on the eve of the Euros. Um, you know, she's what, 27. Is that right? Um, Something like that, it's yeah. a year. It's a year, maybe longer, that she's unfortunately going to be out for if it's if it's you know true to course with everyone else's. But I think for the squad too, it's devastating because she is such a focal point for us. You know, I would argue, you know, at this point, she's going to be more threatening than than, than Fernie. Um, and we obviously all love Furness, but you know, I think she's just offensively our probably most important player. Um, so for the squad, it's pretty, it's pretty devastating. Um, but just for her, like the poor girl, like I thought she was very dignified and what she said afterwards and how she spoke. That's, you know, you're not surprised by that, but yeah, just such a horrible thing to happen. Yeah. One of the nicest people you'll, you'll ever meet as well. And we did a podcast with, with Simone and Rachel about a year and a half ago. And ever since me and Simone have kind of kept in contact and, you know, just, 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 there couldn't happen to, to you know it couldn't happen to a worse person if that makes sense. A, a worse injury couldn't happen to somebody better um i'll maybe think that phrase three before i start next time but you know all know what i'm trying to say it's it's devastating lauren she for me fired us to the european championships more or less on her own across those two games against ukraine we were missing demi vance it was a big blow we were missing so many of the senior players we miss rachel furnace after about eight minutes and kind of the world and the weight of Northern Ireland is on Simone McGill across the rest of the 95% of that playoff. He scores an incredible, a genuinely picturesque, beautiful goal for, this, for the 2-1 win away. She's massively involved. I think she's man of the match in that 2-0 in that at home at Seaview, even though she doesn't get the goal herself. I think she, she sets up Caldwell, doesn't she, at the end for the, for the second. And she's just pivotal all night and, and she's pivotal across those two games. 
However, if there's one thing that Northern Ireland probably know how to do, it's it's win without Simone McGill because she has picked, had these injuries and had has had such bad luck over these last couple of years. What do you think the move is? I think you have to certainly play Lauren Wade up there, and Lauren Wade has, has had some fantastic performances for Northern Ireland. And I thought she was really dangerous. And when we got the, the goal back on 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 when was it Thursday night? I think it was. Wade was the one that was going forward and picking up the ball and making things happen. And then I guess you're looking at somebody alongside her and the temptations to go for, I mean, he brings on Emily Wilson and Caitlin McGuinness and no disrespect to those girls, but there just was a massive drop off in quality as there, as there is always going to be. There's nothing they can do about that. And they both offer something different in their own right. And you've got Kirsty McGuinness there. who maybe has a little bit more quality in the ball. Would that complement Lauren Wade's runs in behind and her pace possibly? It's hard to know what you do. What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's such a tough one. Like Simone is, was such a fo- focal point and has been throughout the campaign. And I know Northern Ireland have played without her before, but, you know, you were going into this tournament and that was kind of, you know, Simone was one of the few nailed on starters. You know, it's kind of the only area in the squad you look at. And there is, as you say, considerable, considerable drop off when you take her out for somebody like, you know, Caitlin McGuinness is a player I really admire. You know, I think her ability to hold the ball up for the size is, you know, is amazing. And Emily Wilson's runs in behind, but, you know, they're raw. They're 19, 20 years of age, you know. I've been playing a few seasons in the Irish League and obviously you have benefited massively from this training camp. But as you say, you know, compared to Simone, the, the, it's just not the same. So I think there'll be options from the bench again. Um, but I do think he, he might go Wade up front. Um, and I think, you know, Kirsty McGuinness can maybe slot into where Wade was playing. Because, you know, as you said before, her deliveries are great into the box and she's a del- diligent to track him back to if, if he wants her in a wing back position so whilst it is such a blow at least you know there is still options although it, it might be a bit makeshift in comparison to you know what Kenny had planned throughout the tournament but as you said yeah it, it, it's just so devastating you know when I heard murmurings after the game you know everybody saying that it's not looking good and just ACL as you said for the timing of it you know at such a time when she's kind of you know her career looks to be definitely on the up you know a move to Villa the European Championships and now everything's kind of come crashing down and I think I've seen somewhere saying you know when this happens you just want to shy away from everything but Simone is is, is such a you know she's Northern Ireland through and through and I seen she posted you know she's going to be there every step of the way supporting and it's it's just brilliant that she can take that personal heartache away and still be there for her teammates. Completely and uh, Lauren Wade scores a fantastic goal against Austrian qualification as well. She has history against them. She, she caused them problems all night. And I suppose not that, you know, we all know that, that Northern Ireland play progressively and they're not going to just kick it up the pitch and try and stick everyone behind the ball. But there are going to be periods where you have to suffer against these Champions League players, these world-class players, these full-time players. And having Lauren Wade's pace in behind is, is really important to that. I wonder if he regrets not calling up Carrie Beatty now, because actually the last time, or the last big game, that McGill wasn't available for, I think, was the the Ukraine game at home. And I, I believe, I think I looked this up earlier, BD starts that game. And then she goes away to, to, to obviously, Glasgow City. Doesn't, well, she scores a couple of goals, but doesn't work out for her as much as she would like. She's now back home. And crucially, I think, sure, she's missed those six months where the girls have been training together every week and and, and had the full-time football. Um I, 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 it's it's so difficult, and we're gonna we're gonna have to to adapt even more. And it's already difficult enough for Northern Ireland without losing one of our best players to then have to adapt further to that. It, it's such a massive blow. And um, fair play to Kenny if he can come up with something that 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 that's effective on on Monday night. I think this is actually it ties into the point that you mentioned earlier on. I think with Kenny, it's almost like the I suppose a bit like Michael. You get systems and you bring the players in. 
you know, it's, 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 you try to get the system as opposed to the players. Um, and I think that's what Kenny is elected to do. I mean, Lauren Wade, wasn't she? She was in Glasgow and she she just got that cracking goal in the Champions, Champions League. League yeah. Um, she had a brilliant goal in the in the warm-up game against Belgium as well. She's a beautiful left foot on her. Um, look, I think she can come in and do a very good job. I think she's a quality player. I think I really like McGuinness. I think she was great when she was at Linfield, Sion Swifts at Cliftonville. I think she's been one of the trailblazers in the Irish League, um, you know, from, from, from the women's game. I think she's been superb and I think she will certainly deserve her chance when it comes. It might mean pushing Fernie further on up again. You know, maybe it's more of a focal point as well. So we'll see what he'll do with the systems. But it's interesting, I think personally with Kenny, he is favouring the players that have been in that training camp because it's Massively. what he what he is influencing as opposed to a player playing, as you say, in the WSL or in the second tier in England or in Scotland. He would prefer that um, because they fit into his system as opposed to just being a, a good player who, you know, that, that he needs to accommodate. The, um, apologies, the name escapes me. The, the, the player at Southampton that missed out as well. Uh, Kira, Kira Watling. Well, yeah. you know, again, you think at Southampton, games in Southampton, it probably make a lot of sense having her there. Um, but obviously, you know, Kenny would see things differently. Yeah, I asked, uh, funny enough, just just on the, the, the living in Southampton point, I'm sure quite a lot of you will listen to this. If not all of you will know William Strain, who runs the, the Northern Ireland women's fan zone and does a phenomenal job and works with the IFA now through his work on that. But I messaged him this morning saying, um, how are you? Are you enjoying Southampton? Basically, and he said, loving it so much. I've, I've asked Laura Rafferty if I can move in. <laughs> so, um, yeah, keep us updated on that, William. Good luck. Um, I don't know, let's maybe. I was going to do that a bit later, but Lawrence just mentioned it now. The, the favouring of the Irish League players, it's very difficult. There's obviously going to be a drop off in quality to the players that are playing full time, but how much of that is made up for seeing them week in week out? It used to be every week. It's now pretty much on a full time basis, and you've got Rebecca McKenna there, who again probably one of the best players over those games in Ukraine has gone and played full-time football, doesn't get a game. Rebecca Holloway playing WSL, only WSL player last year, apart from Simone McGill, not getting a game. Could we do with a little bit more of that quality mixed in with what they've been working on week in, week out? Yeah, like it's it's such an enigma, you know, compared to like any other nation or <laughs> the Penn's exactly. national team. If, if you're playing in the Irish League, you're highly unlikely to get a look in. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's it's a difficult one because these girls, you know, Kenny has them all the time and there's like core groups of players, you know, there's six from Cliftonville, there's four from Glentor and two from Crusaders, you know, a lot of them are playing every day together, week in, week out with their club as well. So I think the connections are there. Um, and I think, yeah, they've just really grasped Kenny's trust from seeing them on, on a day-to-day basis. And yeah, it, it is a difficult one because I do, you know, maybe I'm just a bit naive because I, I don't really watch much of, you know, the lower leagues in England or um much of the WSL, but I see these players, you know, week in, week out in, in the Irish League and I see the quality is there. But, you know, as you say, when, when they step up to the bigger stage, there is a bit of a gap. But when you look at it, you know, Rafferty and, and Watling are, I know they got promoted there, but what kind of division are they playing in, you know, when, or, yeah, you, equate, a regional when you equate the quality, yeah. Yeah, when, yeah, when you equate the quality, you know, is it arguably the same as the Irish League? And, you know, obviously Rebecca McKenna is a phenomenal player and, and playing in the Championship. It was really competitive this year. But, you know, Abby McGee's just come in. It's it's kind of like a club environment, I think, Kenny's kind of established here. And I, I thought Abby McGee was brilliant. Um, she has been when, when she's come back and she was a player. I think, you know, McKenna came in because McGee was injured. So I think Kenny's always kind of favoured her. So it is an interesting one. But, yeah, I think the, the lack of WSL 
quality and um, maybe the players that are on the bench or in the WSL would be the only kind of thing you would question but those in the lower leagues as I said you know does that quality kind of just equate to the Irish league anyway so everybody's kind of at a similar level. Yeah, that's a fair point, actually. And I think once you go down below the championship, it sort of works like the Northern Irish football pyramid where you've got the, the three leagues and then you've got, I think, four regional leagues below that of, of similar quality. And you look actually at the Italian setup, they've about 10 Serie C's. Basically, it's really hard to get promoted out of that league. Um, it's, it's always fun to have a look at that in around, around March time. But, I mean, yeah. And, and the other thing is McGee can play in a couple of different positions. She's played in central midfield quite a bit, and some of the friendlies she came in and played central midfield. So that's another way you could potentially get someone like a McKenna or a Holloway in the team. As I said, I don't think Vance is going to come out of the side, so you're picking between those two there. But Holloway certainly shown a lot of quality anytime she's played and has been around the squad for a, a long time. So it, it will be interesting, and loads and loads and loads of options. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he goes for. Just finally, sure, we'll wrap up and, and talk about the Austria game itself. They're a very good team. They're 21st in the world rankings. I had a look through the squad that, that played against England. Two, two Arsenal players, one Spurs, I think mainly in the back line. Pretty much the rest of them play in the German Bundesliga. They do have a couple of players playing in the local Austrian league, which is part-time like our league, but they didn't play in the game against England. Mm. We'll be buoyed by the fact that we've got a, a result against them in qualifying already, and we're seconds away from actually winning that game. And that, that's not that we're on the same level as them because that in itself would have been a phenomenal achievement. It was a phenomenal achievement to get anything from that game, albeit Megan Bell came and said that it felt like a defeat. In the away game against Austria, we matched them for most of the game, but concede three goals in 15 minutes, and that kills us in the end. And I suppose those two performances will give us a lot of a lot of positivity going into this game. And can this be our Ukraine 2016 moment, or do you think that it's just too unrealistic? I think that it absolutely can be. Um, I don't know if it will be. Um, if you look back at the games, like that Demi Vance free kick against actually both goals. You think know, Laura Wade, I think you mentioned earlier, yeah. brilliant finish. Um, you know, difficult ball over the top and the way she took it. One of the it. best Demi assists Vance, you'll ever see, by the way, from Furnace, that, like, genuinely world-class. And that free kick was just unbelievable. I mean, I don't know, like, like she almost, it seemed like it was in her own half and just flew into the top corner. But yeah, bad goal to concede. They're away to them. Sloppy first goal, horrendous second goal. Yeah. Um, like, probably one of the worst that, that we will concede. And it was a point I was going to raise earlier on, but, like, some of the goals we can see are just awful. Like that's the, the one negative I ever see about the squad is just the, the, the standard of goals that we just give up at times. Um, look, Austria I had two shots against England, one right at the end. Um, is it uh, Nicola Bila up top? Yes, Bila. Seems like I yeah. used, yeah, Bila seems like. Um, oh, no, I wasn't correct in your pronunciation. I'm pretty sure yours was right. Yeah. She was, she, I mean, she's, she's obviously, you know, pretty good in his. Like 40 odd international goals, um, plays in Germany, Dunst, I think, coming through as well. So, really, really impressed good. me against us, yeah, very good. And again, I thought it looked very good against against England, but they're going to be buoyed by the fact they only lost one nil and, and competed against England. For us, the confidence is there that we have scored against this team, we have matched this team, um, and this is a I mean, the, the conditions against Austria away from home were, were abysmal as well. And we held them, as you say, to like, what, 55 minutes or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. The big thing is how they're responding um, to, the, to the news about Simone McGill, to, you know, maybe conceding 
you know, against against Norway. I think Kenny's going to have them right up for this one. I really, really do. It's the game they've always been targeting. Um, and we know Austria. We know what they're about. We know where their threats are. We know where their weaknesses are. And if there's any game that you're going to go into and, and, and hope for, if not another goal, sorry, not, if not a win or a draw, but at least some other moments, you know, goals, etc. This is it. Um, and they've got weaknesses too. I mean, I didn't think offensively they were great against England. In fact, England are very good. But you know, I don't honestly. It sounds a bit cliche to say I do not think there's anything to fear from them because they're they are a known entity to us. We know what they're what they've got, and I just think you know the hell with it. Let's just let's just go at them. That's an interesting point that sure touches on there as well, Lauren. It's the second time actually that that Austria have held England to only a one nil. In the last three or four months, they play them in World Cup qualifying as well. Obviously, we're all in the same group. It's They seem to me, they strike me as a team, and I have a very limited sample size in this, and I haven't done my research into their goals scored over the last however many years, but they seem to me as more of a team that can come and compete with the big teams and have that real structure about them, defensive structure. Now, we all know that Austria are going to have most of the ball tomorrow night, tomorrow as we record. Obviously, you may be listening on, on Monday itself, but that kind of gives me a little bit of encouragement. And that came through for me in those two games in World Cup qualification where for 60 minutes when we were 2-1 up against against Austria at home, Austria barely created a chance. When they got their goals before halftime, that was literally their first chance in the first half. And it was a scrappy game. It's not as if Northern Ireland were battering the goal down either. But it was only until the last half hour, really, where Northern Ireland at the time hadn't gone full time with the training camp. And clearly our legs had fallen off a little bit. I thought it was clear when when then they started to create lots of chances. And then in that game in Austria, again, apart from those 15 minutes, and you can't just say apart from those 15 minutes every time, because as Stuart says, we're conceding silly goals and we certainly can't make silly mistakes if we're to get anything in this game. But again, it wasn't as if, it, they weren't cutting through us the same way Norway were. It wasn't as if Jackie Burns was making save after save after save. And that's encouraging from that perspective. I think they're probably a, a team better at spoiling the party of the bigger nations than they are proficient at beating nations like us five six seven nil like like some other teams in the in the competition yeah definitely and i think you know northern ireland don't create many chances in many games recently but you know we have been clinical with the ones we have created you know you look at belgium you look at that game against norway and on thursday night and <clears throat> we have goals there and obviously you know there's there's gonna be a huge amount of confidence from the last few games against austria sure said i don't think the players will really be feeling the pressure i don't think they'll feel the pressure at all throughout the tournament but you know this is the game where it's going to be most competitive and I, th- I think they'll really look forward to the challenge of you know going up against the team because obviously you know against Norway whilst they did try and play from the back you know what Lord team was trying to contain the threat that there was but now there's kind of a chance to, to, to press forward and create more chances and yeah as you say you know Austria aren't you know that the England the swagger in England that come along and think they can beat teams five or six they very much are you know maybe that step below where it is you know victory is is all that matters in, in the tournament and by any margin 1-0 is, is fine and they'll feel confident being able to shut up shop against Northern Ireland if it comes to it tomorrow but you know it is the game I've looked at throughout and whilst I don't know a win I think it's it's quite a stretch especially you know with Simone missing I do definitely think the draws on the cards. Okay brave bold bold, bold <laughs> prediction there from Lauren uh, she she's g'd me up as well after the, the preview you were you were really talking up our chances or you were really talking up the miracle of, of getting a point against against austria last question to you both well second last question because the last one's a really quick one it's not a score prediction don't worry you don't have to worry about thinking about one of those but Stuart, if what constitutes success was a difficult question around the norway game i think it's an even more difficult question around this game you'd think 
maybe getting a point would be that. But again, that's in terms of that constituting success, that's a, an extremely high expectation to answer that question with. So, so what do you think? Do you think it's a performance? Do you think it's getting a goal again? Do you think it's a certain deficit? I don't know. Gold is a win. Silver is a draw. Bronze is competing slash a goal. That, that's the way, that's the mindset you're going to have to take on this. You know, we've matched them stride for stride a lot in the qualifying, you know, for the, for the World Cup. You know, they're like six points ahead of us, but, you know, I, and they've, you know, they've ran England closer than we have. But we've scored against this team. We've seen where they're vulnerable. And I feel there's a real good opportunity here. Um, I think, as Lauren mentioned, a win would just be incredible. Bear in mind, this team is 21st in the world and we're 47. Mm-hmm. So a win would be beyond our, our wildest dreams. Um, ultimately, if we're competitive, if we get another couple of moments, if we, there's another couple of goals that are scored where young girls can, can, can see more moments like that, that, that will get them out and playing football, that's what you want from these sort of matches, these iconic matches, that I'd say iconic moments that can really act as a catalyst to build women's football in Northern Ireland. That's what we want from this whole, you know, competition that's the real goal um but for me yeah goal win silver draw bronze and a very very bloody good bronze will be competitive and, and score yeah absolutely lauren anything to add to that really i, th- I suppose the one thing that that's been most difficult for me trying to host these podcasts the one question of um toyed with most in my head is really how to put across just how ridiculous it is that we're here how big an achievement it is that we're here the difference in the quality without then coming across as saying things like a goal would just be the you know if we even just score because that comes across as patronizing it's hard to get that balance right but what do you think constitutes success in this game yeah i think another good performance but maybe one you know consistently and if we cut out any you know silly mistakes okay well straight could score you know a wonder goal and, and there's nothing you can do about that but cutting out those silly mistakes i think would definitely constitute a success and as Stuart said you know although it may sound patronizing another goal and just maybe not julie nelson or anybody written i wouldn't mind anybody scoring but somebody else to have that moment would be great so yeah i think being competitive um standing the game and hopefully not conceding you know going so early that it, it's a mountain to climb because it certainly is a game where I think Northern Ireland will be competitive. Well, that actually... Andy, Andy, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, sure. Sorry, sorry it, it just, it, it, it's a really interesting point you, you raised because in one sense, it is just it's just such a freak situation we're actually there. Like, it's yeah. mind-blowing that we're actually there, right? Yeah. Um, and you couldn't have enough podcasts and words written to describe just how incredible an achievement it is. It's probably one of the best in Irish sporting history ever, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. That said, they deserve to be there. This isn't like it's... Yeah, it's a know, freak they, in the they, sense well, that it doesn't happen, but it's not a freak in terms of we flip getting there. Yeah, yeah. No, so that's that for me. And I know people say, oh, you know, a win is, you know, it's unrealistic. It might be, but this is a good team. This Northern Ireland team is a good team. They're a difficult team to beat. They are clearly, you know, in that middle, higher, um, uh, right in the middle of, of, of nations in Europe now. Um, and they're dining at the top table. So they deserve to be there. They're there on merit. And if they're there on merit, then you should go into it thinking we want to win a game and, that's, and, and progress. And that's, I think, the mindset you've got to have. Lauren, your last comment was a little bit of a blow to my final question because you said, I don't care who scores. 
but <laughs> as long as you know maybe not Julian Nelson again, but I don't care who scores well my last question to you was if we are to have the Gareth McCauley moment the incredible win at the major tournament who would you want the goal scorer to be if you could pick one player to, 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 to score the goal on a, a late goal on a 1-0 win or a 2-1 win who would it be oh, I think everybody probably knows my answer it has to be Marissa you know just the connection the club moment. yeah I, d- I didn't think you were going to say Emily Wilson of Crusaders there or, you know <laughs> <laughs> no just Marissa for, for everything she's done and battling back from this injury and you know just the years she's given to Cliftonville and having the honour from such a young age and how much she's inspired and it has to be Marissa sure although Louise McDaniel if she does you know she's already I actually do fancy her because you know first woman to score at Windsor Park first um, woman to score for Northern Ireland a major tournament when she scored in the under 19s and she, she won't let you forget that so if she scores here then <laughs> you will not hear the end of it <laughs> okay before Lauren rhymes off the entire Cliftonville team sure too would you like to see score the winning goal um I want a Marissa Callahan through ball and Fernie to 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 strike it home. I mean, I just, I think just, just, I think she's just absolutely brilliant. I just love her to bits. I think yeah. she's like her celebration. I think Marissa the is a very, very close secondary. The crutches <laughs> is just incredible. And everything about her, that goal she scored against Belarus, where there is not obviously that many people. And you, you heard her, her this, this scream and this shout and that celebration. I, I mean, to me, she is just incredible. Um, and I, I would just love to see her score in, in a major finals because I just do not know what her celebration would be. Um, it would be it'd be unreal, but yeah, doesn't anyone ultimately to do it? But yeah, Fernie for me would be great. The Furnace goal celebration in Belarus probably matched McGill against Wheels for Passion with loads less swearing. I think <laughs> <laughs> because it was an empty stadium, we all knew that, that was going to come across massively. But yeah, you go back and watch Simone McGill's goal against Wales it's just it's it's an incredible moment an incredible outburst for me it's between Furness and uh, Sarah McFadden McFadden hasn't actually scored since 2009 for Northern Ireland don't think she's actually scored a competitive goal for Northern Ireland obviously was robbed of that moment by the most hilarious tackle you'll ever see against Ukraine it was a proper RKO moment but I still think McFadden who uh, or Robson I should say I, mean, I know she's still got McFadden in the shirt and she's, she's recently married uh, Sarah McFadden slash Robson to score I think would be incredible but yeah I wouldn't say no to a little Fernie winner myself so uh, we'll wrap it up there thanks very much Lauren McCann thanks very much Stuart Cherry I'll have a reaction video or something out after Austria and we'll definitely have some form of a podcast out whether it's directly after Austria or whether it's in between Austria and England doing a similar thing to this I don't know yet but we'll have content so thanks for listening thanks for supporting and see you next time bye-bye <laughs>